0: Love a rugby league same-game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same-game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favourite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast.
1: What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid. All that is gold. Only shooting stars
0: break the mold. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All Stars podcast. This is Banty here for the Talk and Footy episode of the week. Talk and Footy episode 18 we're up to for this season. So far, there has been a lot to talk about in rugby league all year. This is another week where it is absolutely no exception. Huge storylines in rugby league, a lot to talk about. Got All Stars podcast regular, Matty Person, back on board for this week to have a chat about footy. Perso, welcome back, mate. Nice to have you. And once again, a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, always good to be on board, Buzz. You're going to say it's another quiet week in rugby league, isn't it? It's all happening. <laughs> yeah, it
0: certainly is. Or well, we it's not the, the Tigers. Oh, well, at least, you know, you can just go away, be quiet, sit in the corner, Tigers, and just get your wooden spoon and no one cares anymore. It's sort of all over, so you don't have to worry about <laughs> anymore. Yeah, that's it. Although Benji the- taking over and Sheen's going, I mean, it's um, there's a little bit of noise about that, I guess. So you did have that last week.
1: Yeah, John Morris going there next year too, so we can't stay out of the, the headlines completely, can we?
0: No, but thankfully there's a few other clubs that have probably overshadowed you at least, so there's that. But look, let's have a chat about the round that was to start off with. Round 25, season-defining for a lot of teams. The Cronulla Sharks kicked it off with a 32-12 to victory over the North Queensland Cowboys. And this is one person that was a pretty big upset. I think everybody was tipping the, the Cows. I actually really like the Sharks for this one, but the Cows started off strong, scored the first try, 13 minutes in and it was a drinky special, and Drinkwater was looking at the goods early on and just sort of thought, well, Cowboys are supposed to win this. Maybe they do go on with it. I was pretty confident with the Sharkies, but very, very, very confident win for the Sharks, beating the Cows by 20 points, and really it was it seemed like more than that. The second half especially that just went on with it and just killed them. Uh, the possession was only 51-49 split to the Sharks, and the Cowboys actually completed better. The Sharks just made the most out of their opportunities. Uh, and just seemed to convert on everything. It was a game with a lot of uh, errors and missed tackles, but certainly the type of attack that I think that we've seen from the Sharks when they've been successful. We saw this, and unfortunately for the Sharks' stats, the Cowboys were in nine spots, so you can't even say that they did it against a top-eight <laughs> team. But I think a lot of people felt like the Cowboys are kind of a top-eight team. So they did pretty well to grab this one, the Sharks, and I think that it's might have rejuvenated their season on a little bit of a run here.
1: Yeah, they're starting to look good again now, the Sharks, aren't they? It was a pretty impressive performance, that one, as you say. The Cowboys weren't poor, they just didn't really execute when they had the opportunity and the, the Sharkies did really well. They had 83% completion rate from the Cowboys, as far from um, far from bad, it was better than the Sharkies. So. Uh, the Cowboys have been in pretty good form over the last two months as well, they sort of looked like they were going to sail into the top eight there until um, the last few weeks. The wheels are sort of fallen off a little bit and they look. Well, they're going to struggle to make the eight now, so it'll be interesting to see where they're at, but um, definitely an informed Shark side leading into the semis is um, going to be a bit of a headache for a few times.
0: I'm no David Middleton, but I have, I'm just going to make an assumption. I do not... I certainly don't think in my lifetime two bench front rowers have scored a try in a match. And <laughs> the second try That'd was Thomas Hazleton for the Sharks, and the third try for the Sharks was Royce Hunt. And neither, and I mean, Thomas Hazleton's made a bit of a name for himself. I think that's his fourth try this season in his debut season. So, I mean, he's getting over there a little bit and they're looking for him a lot. Royce Hunt never scores tries, so But for two bench props to score tries, it's pretty big and it's a different type of attack than what we normally see from the Sharks as well. So I thought they really went hard into the middle of the Cowboys and the Cowboys forwards are probably being a bit embarrassed with, um, with some of that because the back line... Looked good at times, but they weren't the ones putting the points on the board, at least initially.
1: Yeah, they were definitely playing more direct, closer to the line, weren't they? They were going for that sort of barge over on the second, third tackle. quite a lot more than what the Sharks have been doing for the earlier part of the season. So that will embarrass the uh, the Cowboys' middle defence, that's for sure. It's, uh, the Sharks have normally been fairly prominent on the edges, but they've sort of refined their play a little bit now, and it seems to be working for them.
0: Nico Hines, I thought, was uh, very good. He didn't have... The flashy stats that he normally does in these big games, where everyone talks him up, you know. But he did have the one try assist. But often when people talk about him, it's oh, Nico got four try assists, three line break assists. Didn't have any of that. But he scored a nice line break try himself, which was pretty classy. And I just really liked his involvement. He had twenty-two runs himself, and just seemed super involved. And he seemed to have his confidence and swagger back a little bit. And I think that that's what. The Sharkies need, uh, but from here on for the Cowboys, for them, I, I thought that they were pretty, pretty bad. Like they started off okay and looked solid, but this was a close to a must-win game for them, perso. And now all of a sudden they look like, even though they're still in ninth spot, they've got the Roosters on their heels, and they just don't seem like a team that's um, is pushing for the the top eight like some other teams are. They've got Penrith in the final match. Of the season, which is tough when the roosters draw is a little bit easier than that. So you know, I did expect more from them. Did you think that they were floundering a little bit?
1: Yeah, it looked like uh, they sort of peaked a bit early, didn't they? They were really flying there four or five weeks ago, and they they were looking like they were going to make a real dent in the finals. But um, as I said earlier, the wheels have just fallen off a little bit there, especially in attack. Uh, It's going to be very hard for them to make it now. They have to win both games and for results to go their way. Look at the Dolphins this week and then um, Penrith to Penrith next week. And I don't think the Panthers will be doing what they've done the last couple of seasons and resting seven or eight players. They might rest one or two. They've sort of been staggering it in the back end. So it's going to be a pretty hard proposition to beat Penrith to Penrith.
0: They're going to want to win the, the minor premiership too, the Panthers. So yep. yeah, it's it's not a good spot for the Cows to be in. And it has to be said, like I think that one of the, there's some positive hallmarks of Todd Payton coaching era. But there's some negative ones as well. And I think one of the negative ones is the Todd Payton coach cowboys teams go on runs. And that's nice sometimes, but it doesn't show any level of consistency that they've had. And the start of this season, they're actually pretty bad. Like the first six odd weeks in particular, like they looked like they weren't gonna make the age at all. They were, yeah, they were horrendously. Oh, they were or. terrible. And then all of a sudden, mid season, it was like, oh, okay. And they had like you said, a couple of months of good footy, but like really, they probably had six really good games in there that were red hot, and now the last month of footy's been pretty abysmal again. They've done this before you know they they did this when they made that um that great run last year, and it has to be said that the consistency just hasn't been there, and it's fine when you've got teams that go on little runs where it's like they're playing well, and then all of a sudden they hit a hot patch. But it's a bit different when you are you play terrible or really well and no in-between. And that seems to be what the Cowboys' season has been. And I dare say almost a patent blueprint if it is uh, if it is how he's actually coaching them and some, some problems there.
1: Well, it's, it's uh, interesting you picked up on that because it's been that way since he's been there, hasn't it? Even two years ago in the first year, they were, they were sitting at the bottom end of the top eight and they lost, what was it, 11 games in a row. He's right down the bottom, so... They're exactly right. They tend to be red hot and very poor, and they go when they're red hot, they go on a around, and then when they're poor, they seem to go on around the opposite way. So it is a little bit concerning.
0: The next game, Manly, had their season finished by the Warriors, twenty nine to twenty two. They lost over in New Zealand. I, don't, I think the only surprise in this one, per se, was the fact that it was so close. And the Warriors, in the fiftieth minute, scored. And then went on with it and Manly didn't score again and they they won in the second half or really the back third of that match. Um, there wasn't really, I don't think there was much in this one particularly. Uh, you had guys like DWZ though that are going to be up there for Wigan of the Year with the way they played. Three tries, three line breaks, six tackle breaks. He's just been reveling in this brand new Warriors side under Webster. And he will probably get winger of the year at the Dell M's at the end of the season, you'd think. So he was a standout for me. Um, but other than that, it was a bit of a stock standard game, really, wasn't it, with the expected result?
1: Yeah, it's one of those games. It's sort of entertaining. Both sides are, never look like they're going to run away with it. But, yeah, DWZ's been totally reborn, hasn't he, under Webster. He's been outstanding this season. Even just his, his carries with the ball coming back. He looks like a, a man possessed. He just... He hasn't played his sort of footy since he was way back, came onto the scene at the Panthers, I don't think. Probably not even that good then. So says so a lot about the, uh, Webster's managed to get a lot of guys, a lot of effort out of a lot of guys that have been struggling the last few years. So there's something definitely in the water over there. But, yeah, you're up, mainly cooked. Um, I've been impressed they've been hanging in games with a lot sort of injuries and obviously no Tommy Turbo. The, the effort's still there for them, which is an encouraging sign for next year, but, yeah, definitely gone this season.
0: Yeah, they have gotten some minutes into a few of the younger guys, Manly, which will hopefully help them out for next year as well. And they're going to continue that in these next couple of rounds as well with the teams that they've named. The Eels capitulated against the, the run of the Sydney Roosters. 34 to 12, the Roosters ended up victorious. And this one was actually over at Parramatta too at Combank Stadium. So uh, as a Roosters fan person, I was worried that it was... At home for the Eels, that was my concern with this one. But I was quietly confident that we could beat them. It was a a pretty easy victory in the end. Uh, Bryce Cartwright went over in the ninth minute for the first try and then it was all Roosters. He scored four tries before Clint Gutherson's 62nd-minute fight back. So it was a, a pretty needed performance from the Roosters. They're on a run now. They've won half a dozen games in a row. They won eight in a row last year to storm into the finals It looks like they could do it again, but this was when we say season defining, this was one of them because it makes it extremely hard for Parramatta to – the Parramatta season's pretty much over Um, and the Roosters look like they're going to be playing off with after if they beat the Tigers this weekend um, for that last top eight spot. So big match from the Roosters, uh, a bit disappointing for the Parramatta Eagles, but without Mitchell Moses and with some of the cattle that they've had down, it's – Probably just not their year this year, and just sort of expected the Roosters to get this one. But I was pleasantly surprised at how well they actually won it.
1: Yeah, uh, wheels are gone, that's for sure. Um, I can't see them getting in there. and they wouldn't the last well. They got the buy in the last round, they win this, doesn't really matter. They're gone. Uh, wheels just sort of well, they didn't really fall off, did they? Barnsley, they just haven't really been there all year, even at the start of the season. I know they had a pretty tough draw and they were in games, but they just couldn't get it. There the last play to get them the two points. So they they lost quite a few in a row, even though they were good teams, but they needed to win a couple of those and they didn't. That's probably the difference between them making the eight. That they have had a bit of bad luck with the injuries, but this hasn't seemed to be their year after the run they went on to get in the GF last season. And as far as the Chooks go, they're starting to warm up at the right end of the season. Again, the, for you Chook supporters, it must have been four weeks ago, you look shot. So all of a sudden they've um, put their stuff together and they should easily account for the Tigers this week to, Bring a bit of a blockbuster, the Rabbitohs Roosters game. Whoever wins that game will make eighth spot. I, I believe so. That'll be a cracker in the last round.
0: Oh, will add a, yet another chapter to the very large book of book of feuds. It's uh, it's going to be an absolutely beautiful moment for Roosters fans if they can get through by beating Souths and knocking them out. But on yeah, on,
1: especially after the the um, semi last year.
0: Well Yeah, definitely. Uh, and on Parramatta, I mean, I think that you're right. It's just it's been a season where they've never been there. I was thinking about it during this game though because it was it's never happened before, I don't think, where I'm pretty sure the start was if you made a grand final and then miss the eight the next year that, that's this is the first time. Uh or sorry, no, the first time since two thousand and five or, or something I was like gonna say, say
1: the yeah. bloody tigers did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so it's
0: been fifteen odd years since that's happened.
1: Yeah, it's pretty rare. I
0: think Parramatta underestimated some of the uh, some of the cattle ad leave. So I, I really think it hasn't been spoken about much. And I don't think it stands out as much as what it should, but Hooker, I think is a big difference. I, I'm not the biggest Reed Marty fan. I've actually been surprised at how how positive people have been about some of his performances and stuff. Certainly the Bulldogs, it's it's been called out a little bit more with things like sometimes some lack of service and stuff from Hooker. But at the end of the day, they, they decided to pay Hodgson, who's now medically retired, four hundred and fifty thousand instead of paying six hundred thousand to to Marnie. And it would be different if it was at the time I thought, oh look, they just they had to let someone go because they had to re sign Gutherson and they had to re-sign Moses at the time. They had Dylan Brown coming off out of that spine you're going to let your hooker go. So I understood a little bit. But then when they ended up re signing those guys perso and they gave Hodgson just 150 grand less than what they could have re signed Marnie for, it was just sort of well that's a big error then because you you did have the money to be able to do it and they should have. And I think that's really hurt them. Uh, I think if you couple with that, when you have a look at their bench, I think their bench middles have really killed them because the middle forwards for them uh, haven't been great at times. And when you look at the bench, you sort of go, well, I don't know if many people think that Greg's going to be a long-term NRL player week in, week out, uh, even at the moment. He has actually been around for a few years despite his development this year. Uh, you've got Moretti on the bench, uh, you've got Young Hands as a hooker, you've got some of these other middle forwards that are just spot starters that aren't regular bench guys. Uh, and it's a bit hard because you, you can then just say, well, look, maybe the recruitment wasn't there, and I don't think it was, I think the recruitment needed to be better. But the other thing too is that I think they could have re-signed someone like Marnie, but they're missing Nicore. The And you couldn't re-sign Nicore because he's got over $800,000 a year to go to New Zealand, which to me is a ridiculous contract for what he's done so far. So I understand why they couldn't get Nicore, but him off the bench and Marnie Hooker, I think has been really, really painful for them to work through.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Nicore because Nicore, he he was going to be what I was going to mention, him and uh, Cafusi as well, quite underestimated how much they've lost those guys. I mean, they... Everyone talks about Papa Lee and, and Marnie, but, which are losses, of course, but the lesser ones so much because it's weakened their bench so much this year. Their their bench has not had the same impact that it had last year when you had those guys in Madison coming off. And I mean, even Nathan Brown was there early in the season and whatever happened, he got dropped, but he still played the grand final. So I mean, it's a lot of experience and go forward off the bench that they lost. So they really missed that this season along with the hooker as well. I mean, the alarm bells were always ringing when they let Marnie go and they saw Hodgson that was always going to go one or two ways. Hodgson, good player that he was, he can't really stay on the park and that proved again this year and they, they had no backup. I mean, even Mitch Rain left as well, which would have been a handy, experienced backup hooker that they could have had there. So that was always going to be an issue and it's it ended up being that way, but definitely they've underestimated the impact of that bench. I think that's been a massive difference for them this season.
0: On the flip side, I do need to mention some big performers before we move on to the next game. I've got to mention my boy, James Tedesco. What a phenomenal game. The only downside is obviously that in the 60th minute, he copped a concussion and had to leave the field. If he got to play 80 minutes per so, you know, he had another 20 minutes to build on these stats. He already had two line breaks, two tries, two line break assists, two tries, six, 10 tackle breaks. He was absolutely destroying them. And this had the potential to be possibly even one of the all-time Teddy games. Like he was close to a hat trick five minutes before he ended up um, going off. And there was still 20 minutes to play after that. He could have gotten four tries or something in this one, the way it was unfolding at the end of this and the way he was playing. So he had a fantastic performance, but it was a bit of a shame that he had to go off at the 60th minute, but there was a couple of unsung heroes in this one too that I want to mention. One, Nat Butcher has been absolutely killing it. He's just been a constant all year. I thought he was going to be off the bench a lot of the time, but he ends up playing 80 minutes most weeks now. And he had 13 runs. 36 tackles, but he scored a try, but not only that, he had two line breaks, and he has now got seven line breaks across his last three games, which is absolutely ridiculous for an edge back rower, and on top of that, we've got Billy Smith finally realising his potential, which I'm just so happy about. I just think that Billy looks so strong at the moment. He looks like a long-term centre now, and he looks injury-free, and those few guys, I thought their performances lately have just been outstanding.
1: Yeah, 100%. I've been a Nathan Butcher fan for a couple of years, but more so than you. I, know, I think we've had a few discussions, and I've, I've seen a lot in him that I liked, and he's having a cracking season. Uh, so good to see Billy Smith get through those injuries. He's had such a horrific run, and he's a very talented player. He's a lot bigger than you think he is too. Went to that game of Gosford against the Dogs. He's a big human. So, I mean, he's a, definitely a massive bonus, when he's fully fit. fine for the Chookies. So. Tedesco, of course, you never doubt a champion. He's still a champion fullback. Um, if they get to the finals, it'll be off the back of him. They're just lucky this week that he's out and they're playing the Tigers, so it won't really matter. They'll still get that up anyway. But um, they're warming at the right end of the season, that's for sure.
0: Your West Tigers
1: get away with a thriller
0: against the Dolphins. <laughs> Has to be said, the Dolphins' teams they're trotting out at the moment are a bit under strength, and I think that they're yeah. out, they're leaving guys out that they could have normally played at this point. Twenty-four twenty-three, the Tigers won in nail biter. For someone who bet on the Tigers' perso, I was biting my nails. <laughs> Jermaine Sarko, 75th-minute field goal to put the Dolphins up 23-22. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we get a penalty in the 77th minute with Apicorosau sorting it across for the one-point victory. It was a tight one, uh, but it was nice to see the Tigers fight and get that victory on the board. I'm sure that you uh, that you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, especially after 10 losses in a row. It just look, when Osaka slotted that field going you think, there we go, that's it, We've gone again. Well, you, you can't knock the Tigers' effort. They haven't got a lot of talent on the park at the moment, but I mean, the effort's there every week. The, the, the old Tigers, this is sort of the time of the season, we're getting 40, 50, 50, 50, 60 points put on them every week. So it was good to see them get up for a win. we even, were even nail-biting, even the penalty was nail-biting. It looked like it was in, then it looked like it was gone, then it bounced <laughs> off the post and just fell over. <laughs> it, was, it was an entertaining game for a game that didn't really mean anything. So it's definitely good to watch. I mean, my wife sat there and watched most of it too. So that says how entertaining the game was. And they
0: moved Dappy to, to uh, halfback at the moment as well, which is interesting. And he played half in this game.
1: He looked really good too. But yeah, unfortunately, um, he's got to go back to hooker this week with Simpkins out and then Brooks is out. So we got Will Smith at halfback. So not looking to do, uh, too Much positive this week against the Flying Chook side, but uh, I'll take that win last week. It was good to actually. The best thing about that was all the um, the, the social pages, the, the Tigers' social pages weren't whinging about the refs for once. Uh, so that, that was a highlight, <laughs> no? But I, I did
0: find it quite amusing on all the socials, uh, the things that everyone came up with for the um, there's a lot of memes about the barbecue and. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand that, <laughs> Like honestly, how do you go, oh, like, if seriously? you're going to honour a player that's been there for over a decade and started their career there and stuff, and you decide to do all this rigmarole and stuff, which you should, you should celebrate, you know, it, at the end of the day, Luke Brooks is a great clubman, he's been there for a long time, and you don't get that much in modern rugby league, and you give him a barbecue, like, honestly, and there's people saying, oh, it's worth $900, who cares? That's going to be the worst party <laughs> gift ever.
1: He's, he's on one point one million a season. What's a nine hundred dollar barbecue going to be like, oh, Fair Deacon? What are they thinking? It's so West Tigers that isn't it? I just it,
0: I, when I saw it, I actually saw it. I'm pretty sure I saw it on Twitter initially um, because I didn't see it after the game or whatever. I didn't realize what was happening. Uh, I saw it on Twitter and I actually had to check because I thought, I honestly yeah. thought this is a Batuta Advocate article. <laughs> I, I really did. I thought, you know, that's, I actually laughed at it. That's a good one. Like I'm going to share that because I, I thought it was a joke. I thought it yeah, was a GR oh, because it just sounds so, so silly. And um, yeah, it's, there's some great stuff out there about it. But i tell you, honestly, like that's, it's also just, it's a type, it is so West Tigers person, but that's going to end up on the cancel cleanup. In about four weeks, four months, a year, or something like that, you know, like it's something that you're just going to throw away in in a while.
1: It's uh, probably like... still
0: on the grid. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that I, mean, I said, I was they no one of the West Tigers, it was probably one that they were using out the back for the sausage sandwiches, <laughs> and they decided to buy a new one, and upgrade. So they wanted to give it give it away, but they couldn't they couldn't sell it on Facebook Marketplace. So they gave it to Luke Brooks as his farewell oh, gift.
1: It's just <laughs> and the, the guys been at the club since he was fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how how do you honor him with a. It's not even a good barbecue. What are you
0: We move on. The the Penrith Panthers forty to fourteen over the Gold Coast Titans. Uh, not too much to say about this one, really. Um, the Panthers just did what you expected. I think everybody was super surprised at the start, though, and I made the comment even at half time, I thought the Penrith was playing pretty poorly, and that was my takeaway from this. Like they won forty to fourteen in the end. But Cleese Haas came up with a, a brilliant solo try where he just ripped apart the the Penrith edge about 50 metres out and then just ran the rest of the way and scored a try in the second minute. And it was very un like with the defence. The, the Titans didn't really score much after that and do, or do much with the ball after that, but Penrith just weren't looking great. And I made the comment that even at halftime, you know, it was... But it was three tries to one until Tom Jenkins went over just before the buzzer for the half. And I was making the comment when I was watching it that Penrith just don't seem to be putting teams to the sword. They just don't seem to be able to put heavier points on them. They don't seem to have those big attacking games against the worst sides anymore. I'm just, I'm not seeing it. It just didn't, and it didn't look like that to me, per se. It didn't look like whilst they might have been on top in the game they just didn't look like they were really going to be able to put them away or punish them when, I think a couple of years ago, the Panthers would
1: have. Yeah, they've been sort of like that all season. It's like they've just really knuckled down and concentrated on their defence. I mean, they still had a conceded 14 points despite looking a little bit softer early in the first half. but They just seem to get to a point. They're in front. They control the game. And they just don't look like losing. But, yeah, you're right. They're not definitely not putting on the big... 60 points against some of those sorts. Oh, uh, I mean, the Titans did complete at 88% as well, but they weren't terrible by any means. But, I mean, everyone's talking about other teams that have been on runs, like the Knights and stuff, but that's the, uh, the Panthers' win in a row. They're looking fairly ominous to me. Like just even when they're not at their best, they just, there's never a point where you think they're going to lose.
0: Yeah, and the I think the professionalism of their game plan and their football just beats sides like the Titans that just aren't, aren't anywhere near as good. Like, they will They'll complete their sets. They'll kick and they'll get they'll get their points one way or another. And normally, defensively, they're good. They're very patient. That's the
1: difference a lot of sorts. Very
0: patient, and and they've got the personnel to pull that off. I think the Titans actually tried to pull that off. One of the reasons why they had an eighty-eight percent completion rate was because they kicked early a few times and they tried to be clever mm, and, yeah. and manage the game and stuff. And that counts. Like if you kick on the second tackle, it counts as a completed set. But they, they they just aren't good enough to be able to. Go into a bit of an arm wrestle like that and come away as victorious. So it has to be said, like 40 to 14, but 18 points of that from the Panthers were scored in the last 15 minutes. Like it was 22 14 with 15 to go. The, the game was
1: still going, wasn't it? So that's just what they seem to they do. They, they just grind out games. They know they're going to come over the top in the end. They don't get clustered. That's the, the difference that some sides, when they're only leading by eight points against the Titans, with a 15 minutes to go, would start thinking they need to put more points on them, but The Panthers just stick to their game plan, and just grind away, and then the points just seem to come, don't they?
0: Definitely. Uh, and against sides like the Titans, it's going to keep happening. But when we play September footy, I, I do think that there is an inkling of hope for other teams because if you can uh, put points on the Panthers, which I think you can more easily this year than others, and make them have to chase or make them have to be in a high-scoring shootout, it does look like that it could... Um, unravel them a little bit because their attack just doesn't look like it's set up to do that. And they have been in, in a position a few times per se this year where they've had to come up with points in that last 10, 15 minutes and they haven't looked like they've had a huge amount of answers uh, at times. So I do think they're a very structured side and they they do very well against most of the clubs, but there is a few teams in the competition who I think could end up with an early lead on the Panthers and make them chase or, make them come out of that game plan and need to score some points. And that might be where you see them uh, maybe lose a game in the finals. And that's probably why I think the team's blueprint that might be able to beat them in the grand final if it happens.
1: Yeah. That could be where you start to see the loss of, of um, Kikau and and Boris out. That was sort of the difference with their attack last year. The, the left edge is far, that looks far less dangerous. I mean, May's been out all season as well. So they've sort of adapted to that and they're still playing good footy and they're still a the team to beat. But yeah, i, I because they're, they're not going to be unbeatable, that's for sure. Yeah, still the number one team.
0: And, and we saw that with a clinical display on the weekend still. But there is hope. Thirty-eight twenty-eight. the storm accounter for the Dragons. This was another one where... You should have
1: took him a while to put him away. <laughs> but
0: it, it did. Um It didn't take Penrith as long. But Will Walbrook went over in the eighth minute. Will Walbrick, has to be said, he had a hat trick by the 34th minute. And yeah. I thought, is this going to be like a, a Nathan Merritt five try or something like one of those? You know, I think the most try scored is six in the modern era. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, and that was it was that Was only a couple of years ago? Well, probably about five years ago. Yeah,
0: might have been Alex Johnston. I, I'm trying to remember.
1: Yeah, I think it was. I'm pretty sure. It was. Well,
0: I, I was thinking that we might have been able to get the history books out for this one, but he didn't quite get there. He only got the three. Um, but I'll tell you what, after Will Walbrook eighth minute try. Dragons scored three unanswered, and it just looked like, wow, the Dragons are actually on top of this, and they were playing pretty good footy. I was, I was really impressed with Billy Burns. I thought that he was outstanding on that edge, and there was a few of the Dragons that really just seemed to stand up to the Storm, and I, for quite a while, the Storm just couldn't really go with it. I think it was a Elisa Katawa try in the 50th minute that really spurred him on because he scored in the 50th and the 55th, and one of those was a massive effort play where he's gone up and just absolutely belted Ben Hunt as well and someone's picked the ball up and run away and, and scored a try, it wasn't even him and he put on that try with a big hit so it was uh, a least a Katoa game winning performance in the last half an hour I reckon for me
1: Yeah, he was outstanding lifted when they really needed someone to lift, that's for sure um, Yeah, look, they just couldn't get away from the Dragons, I mean, a bit of credit to the Dragons, they've got nothing to play for and past seasons again, similar to the Tigers they get logged at this stage of the season but they're hanging in games and putting the effort in. So it's um, fairly impressive compared to past seasons when it's stay down the bottom end of the table. But storm, I don't know what to make of them. <laughs> I don't know what you make of them, Barnes, but They haven't impressed me all season, but they're still just hanging around doing enough to stay in the top four. But they'd look a, um, a shadow of the storm of past seasons, don't they? Yeah, they have these games where they, they look a lot better. But then the next
0: week, they don't. And it's... I don't know what to make them either. Um, I'm wondering whether it's going to help or not to have Pappenhausen back. Uh, I, I tend to think that he'll play 25 off the bench this week and he'll start next week and play 80 because they'll want to get the minutes into him before the finals footy starts. But, I mean, he has been very good for them and you know, you're still going to have him in the side moving him maybe to the wing or even centre. But to me, you know... It, it can go two ways with Pappenhausen. It can disrupt them a little bit or it can help them and give them an extra leg.
1: Yeah, I, I think Bellamy will play fairly cautious with Pappenhausen. I know he had a blinder in Q um, cup the other week, but um, I could see him playing that role he did when he first came in the, the first grade a few years ago, coming off the bench as that impact player. I, I could see Bellamy doing that right through the final series because maybe he has been very good. I suppose it'll depend on how Pappenhausen goes when he gets a run, if he gets a run this week. See so, yeah, how his confidence is. It took him a while to come back after that bad head knock he had. Confidence-wise, too. So, when it was a pretty nasty injury. To be honest, that knee injury was horrendous. So, back and forth, we'll see how he goes. But, um, yeah, you're right. It could go one or two ways. And that's why I think Bellamy won't rush him into throwing him in and playing 80 minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it makes sense to get the 80 minutes into him before the final start. But if you're not going to start him anyway, then you're obviously not going to do it. And it does make sense the other way, too, because... 20-25 off the bench in a role that he did play a few years ago also means that he's going to have no pressure on him either. Uh, he's going to be able to come in and just play footy and it's going to be for short spurts. So it might make it easier for um, Pappenhausen. Bellamy's,
1: yeah, Bellamy's always liked to have that sort of player on the bench. Some weeks he mm. might play two minutes at the end. Some weeks he might come on and play 30. He's had that sort of system for quite a few years now. I, I can see that happening again.
0: I think the other reason was the Stormart firing, and this hasn't been said very much. And I'm a little bit surprised. Probably the first three months of the season, I was pretty critical of Jerome Hughes. I think the first two months, yeah. Jerome Hughes had one try assist or something. I'm pretty sure it was one try assist in the first two months. And I was hypercritical of him because he signed a big deal. I think it was over 900,000 a year on his re signing, and it just yeah. wasn't coming through at all. Um, now, he's been playing amazing football the last month, especially. The last two weeks of footy has been his best back to back games I remember seeing from him. But it has been very quiet about the season that Cameron Munster has had. Mm-hmm. He had 12 runs of the football on the weekend and had no line breaks, no line break assists, no try assists. He missed 18, he made 18 to 24 tackles. He only had a 75% success rate with his tackling. That's pretty bad. And he conceded a penalty. He was pretty much non existent. On the weekend, he didn't contribute much whatsoever, and has to be said, like he only ran for ninety-eight meters as well. Like it wasn't like he wasn't creating stuff, but he was running the ball. He wasn't even doing that, and that's happened a bit with Cameron Munster this year, I have to say. So, I've been eyeing that off for the last six weeks post-Origin, and I think that that's a a really big factor for them. I think they really need Munster to step up. I think they really need the Queensland Munster. The you know whether they put the old the Dane Gagai trick of throwing the Maroons jersey underneath his Storm jersey or something, I don't know. But I'm I'm surprised that the media haven't latched onto it a little bit more.
1: Yeah, so am I. Um, He was quite good leading into Origin. Yeah, through Origin and particularly post-Origin, he's been very quiet, especially for a player of Munster's caliber. He's a guy who can just tear a game apart at any moment. Even on that game on the weekend, you just sort of just watch it and couldn't get rid of the drag, and you're sort of waiting for a oh, monster. He's going to do a monster thing sooner or later, but he just didn't look interested at all on the weekend, did he? It was that's the quietest game I've seen him have for a couple of seasons at the least. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but if the Storm want to do anything in the finals, they definitely need him to be at his best. And um, yeah, Hughes. He last season, we sort of talking that. Um, Hughes wasn't all that far behind Cleary the way he was playing. Well, he, Cleary was easily the best half-back in the comp, but he's sort of talking about Hughes being not that far away. I and mean, then he was—he hasn't really done a lot at all until the last month, but last month he's been on fire. So yeah, the Storm can keep Hughes in good form and then can get Munster to um, get back. That's what they need to do anything in this final series. If, if they don't, then you know, if Munster's not playing well, then I can't see him doing a lot of damage in the finals.
0: Because obviously there was all the talk about oh he could go to the Dolphins he was considering leaving Melbourne and stuff and I, I think that was probably playing on minds. He obviously committed to the Storm, and he also gave up drinking. So there was a lot of talk about he's going to be in a career year, and that this was going to be you know Munster's you know prime because it is his prime years now. He's in his late twenties. This is normally when guys are peaking, and you know he's going to be the fittest that he's ever been and all that. They need to see it. I hundred percent agree with you. Um, there's some other sides struggling as well a little bit, though, to to know what's going on, and one of them is South Sydney. I'm going to talk about their woes a little bit later and all the uh, things that have happened the last few days, but Newcastle won 29-10. It would be unfair of us to focus on South because Newcastle are on an
1: amazing run of football, where yeah. once again... The Knights never look like losing that game.
0: No, it, and it was strange because I think this was one where I thought it was going to be the match of the round. I, I thought yeah. that it was going to be a really, really good game on Sunday afternoon to sit down and watch. It just wasn't that good at all. The Knights were just far too good. And again, you sort of thought, well, can Caelan Palmer do it against a side like South? Because he's been beaten up on a lot of worse sides in in the Knights' run in the last six, seven weeks. And he has three line breaks, two try assists, two line break assists, and he just picks up right where he left off. You know, big Greg Marsu, he scored a hat-trick real early too, very much like Will Warbrick in the Storm game. He's gone three tries in the 5th, 11th, and 36th minute. He scored the first three tries of the match between both teams. Uh, South just looked nowhere near it. And to me, it was very impressive from Newcastle. But also, you know, in a a game like that that South Sydney really had to step up for, none of their big guys did.
1: Nah, and that's what you were expecting, wasn't it? I mean, this has been a test coming for the Knights. They have the Bunnies last week, the Sharks this week. They've been on a really good roll. This is going to test them coming into the finals is what everyone thought. And the Knights just blew them off the park. I mean, credit where credit's due, the Knights have been playing really good footy, but, due South's with piss ball. Oh, that was a horrible performance from South. They only completed at 58%. What you said in those games, like he, everyone says Trell's a big game player. He just he, That was one of the worst games I've seen him play in a long time. Their forwards just got totally outplayed, so that he couldn't, the halves couldn't really get on the, a roll to, to do anything. But, I mean, yeah, I, some of those errors that South' are making in that game. I mean, J.B. must have been sitting up there pulling his area. 48 missed tackles, 14 errors. That's a mm.
0: that's a pretty bad
1: effort from them. Not a top-8 team
0: performance. No, and so, 58% yeah. possession, uh, sorry, completion. You're not going to see that sort of completion rate very often at all. Like, you'll see teams get flogged or, sorry, per, so a team like the Tigers at the bottom of the table. Oh, you yeah. still don't see them complete at 58%. Like sixty something percent is pretty normal for a real bad performance. In the fifties is awful. Um Forty five percent possession as well as it talks to the errors and the completion from handing the ball over. But it was just it was awful from South Sydney in an important game. I, I mean, Damien Cook did a few things, but definitely Cody Walker and Latrell just are not stepping up enough at all. And at, at some point, yeah, I, I know a few people have whinged about this game and sort of said, "Well, Lockie Ilias didn't do anything either." Ilias does deserve pressure, but he isn't a representative player um, and that many years into his career like a Littrell Mitchell Cody Walker is. So that's the reason why those guys have far more pressure than an Ilias on their performance. And I don't think anyone expects Ilias to be a match winner. He's got to play better for them. But if he is just solid, then they still win games and a contender because of the other guys in that spine. Uh, and you're right about the middle forwards too. I, I thought Totola coming back was a positive sign for them. He obviously could only play smaller minutes, but he's going to be starting for them against the Roosters. And I think they're going to try and put big minutes into him again because they're going to need him in the middle. Because those, I mean, I, one of the things with the Knights, I, I don't think the Knights have got that fantastic a pack. I think that's one of the weaknesses on this Knights run. The back line is just bamboozling teams and just putting on points so easily. And also guys like Dom Young and Marju taking hit-ups and stuff is quite dangerous but the forward pack, I think, has just been solid. It hasn't been phenomenal. It's something where you could probably roll through the middle for Newcastle as a blueprint to beat them.
1: And Souths were just nowhere near it. No, nah, they got blown off the park in that first 20 minutes. The knights just exploded and South couldn't come with them. That it was it was a massive uh, difference to the game, I thought. Adam Elliott being back's given them a, a little bit of a new dimension to the knights and through the middle and with a bit more of a link rail. It gets them going a bit more. But, yeah, just, you just expect to say much more from South in that game. And it just at no point did they look like they were ever in it, really.
0: The Raiders dogs finished off the round. Raiders winning 36-24 to 24 over the Canterbury Bulldogs. and
1: Another one that took a time to get ahead, didn't it? <laughs> it did.
0: Uh, I actually thought that the Bulldogs – I had the Bulldogs for the upset. I, I threw the bet on the Bulldogs um, because I thought, you know, plus seven and a half was about $2. And I thought, yeah, I, I reckon they could even win the game. But I think that would be close. It, it was a it was a very much a back and forth game at least so at least it kept everyone on the edge of the feet, the street seats. They traded tries. Off and on, you know, you had Raiders in the twelfth minute with Tomoko. Twenty seventh minute, Blake Wilson for the dogs Jared Croker fires back in the thirty first. Jacob Carraz fires back in the thirty fifth. Tomoko fires back again in the forty ninth. Toby Sexton in the fifty fifth. It was great that it was try for try like that. You know, you you love those games and it's a, it had a bit of a park footy feel in that sense. Uh, obviously not huge quality between these two teams, but it was a win. No, that it's still entertaining, though. It was entertaining and it was a win that the Raiders had to get, per mm,
1: Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, I don't know where to put the Raiders at the moment either, similar to Melbourne, but I think they've just sort of snuck along all season, the Raiders, without being overly impressive, but they've always sort of been, for the most part of the season, but, uh, well, at least the middle part of the season. They've been sniffing around that top four without putting on any uh, outstanding performances. that make you think, yeah, they're going to be a top four side and prep for the comp? But they did get the job done. They needed to get the job done. Um, it's Whiten's last game for the club this week and Kroger's last home game for the club too. So you'd expect them to be up for the Broncos game this week. And I suppose that'll give us a bit more of a uh, picture of, as where the, Bronco, uh, where the Raiders are, but I don't think...
0: Yeah, I am. I am looking at that as a barometer for for the Raiders because obviously Brisbane's a tough opposition there up the top of the comp, um, and the Raiders have got a lot to play for. So it'd be interesting to see what side comes out this week. It was it was a performance where they needed the win and they had to do it, but at the same time it wasn't convincing. I've got to throw out a couple of numbers. The Raiders have barely eclipsed the thirty point mark, and they got thirty six points on the board this last round, so that was something that was probably pretty pleasing. But on the dog side of things, every single week when you have a look at the stats, they're missing so many tackles. And I know, mean, you were spoken about it a couple of times in the last two months, but they miss forty seven tackles again in this one. Like they are regularly missing forty five to sixty tackles every game. And you just can't do that. And I'm I'm still very surprised with a a coach like Giraldo that their defence is as it is. Like, you can sort of see it happening for one or two games, but it's just happening every week per se. So that was a number that I was just super surprised about because I kind of have breezed past it the last couple of weeks, but now it's like, hang on, they've been doing this for a couple of months now, and that's an extreme amount of tackles to keep missing.
1: Yeah, you can't win games missing those sort of tackles every week. And, I mean, if anything, it seems to be starting to look worse. So their edge defence is that fragile. It is very surprising. I thought the dogs... um they would have had a lot better defence this season, and they, that's what they sort of would have based their games off—more sort of grinding games out, trying to stay in it with their defence. But um, they've been ordinary as really in the last eight weeks. I mean, they've had, a are you on know, back end of a couple of really big blowings. So their defence has just been atrocious. I mean, you look at that game against the Knights other you know, week, and it looked like that was going to be seventy nil by half time. They were that bad. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. I think they're just a team that wants next year to come along. But um, cerrado has got his work cut out in the off season. That's for sure.
0: They've got to find a way to compete these last couple of weeks. They've got to they've got to be better and give the fans something for next year.
1: Yeah, when you look at the Dragons and the and the Tigers who have got nothing to play for and lower than them on the ladder, and they're still competing in every game.
0: No, it's it's going to be a long off season for the Bulldogs and a long wait for for March to come next year because. Uh, They've got to be better than what they have been this year. need to move along. There was a couple of controversial moments in this last round of footy in round 25. Before we do, I need to mention the fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Picklebet Picklebet.com. Go and check them out. They're a fantastic bookmaker in Australia, and they also have not just sport, but also a lot of e-gaming as well. And they also have great racing stuff as well. But I tell you what, one of the good things that they've got is that they have a huge amount of promotions every single week that are phenomenal. Uh, Last couple of weeks, I've talked about the different promotions for the first try score for the NRL. Let me tell you, they've got it again. So this week, you can go for the first try, and if your try score ends up coming in second, they will pay you out as a winner. So that's a really good one. And as far as what game it is for, you can get this one on the Dolphins-Cowboys game. I reckon water can go back-to-back weeks as being either first or second try scorer. If you want to go for a bit of a favourite, though, Kyle Feld back on the wing. He's been going over a huge amount of times, and you can get some fantastic odds for him on Picklebet as well. So last week, I actually loved the... or the week before, actually, sorry, it was uh, Daniel Tubo, Perso He's paying 10 bucks, And on everyone else, he was about $8, $8.50. So uh, you can actually get similar odds for Kyle Feld, and uh, I reckon that's fantastic to get over the first two. But has to be said... They do have some other promotions too. You know, you can jump on the AFL if you want to as well. And on the AFL, well, you can get the first, second, or third goal scorer pay for you as a first goal scorer. Triple chance AFL, Collingwood versus Essendon. That's phenomenal. Just jump on three Collingwood players, I reckon, because they're heavy, heavy favorites. They're paying about $1. twenty at the moment. Jump on three Collingwood players um, and you'll, you'll get one of them. So don't worry about that. Jump on Picklebet now. Sign up. When you do sign up, make sure you use the promo code ALLSTARS. It'll be under affiliate code when you sign up. It'll have a space for your affiliate code. Play in ALLSTARS. I know that you're one of our listeners will take great care of you. But peoplebet.com, go get on today and have a punt. Great promos this week on AFL and NRL. Always think, is this a bit that you really want to place? Call 1-800-858-858 for support, or you can get help with gambling, help First, So first controversial moment of the round to talk about was the CMK tackle. Chance Nicol Kloxar clipped the foot of Ruben Garrick and Ruben Garrick came down on his back and was hurt. Uh, no penalty. A lot of people were talking about this. A lot of media were talking about this. A lot of fans were talking about this. Graeme Menesley came out and said, what did you want to be penalised for? Because obviously Manly was spewing in the press conference. Uh, Seabold was livid. Uh, I think that everything he was talking about was a lot of it was a bit ridiculous actually, because he was comparing about guys getting hit in the jaw and high tackles and stuff and whatever, getting penalized. But when the NRLs responded per se, they basically said, what did you want to get the penalty for? There was actually nothing in that tackle that was illegal. Uh, There was nothing that was done that should have been penalized. So the call was correct. Now, normally I'm, against a lot of the Annesley um, rebuttals because I think that he doesn't take enough accountability for some of the decisions, but oh, I have to say, I kind of felt the same way, and to put it in perspective for those that didn't didn't see it perso, se, it was a charge down kick, and it was a ball bouncing, and you unfortunately had Ruben Garrick decide to jump up to grab the ball, and CMK was running through to grab the ball as well Garrick jumps up, CMK comes through to grab it, ends up grabbing his foot Let's it go pretty much immediately when I think that he realized that, you know, he was going to, he was in the air and he was out of control. Uh, and then see, and then Reuben Garrick falls on his back. Now I saw it and went, Oh, that's a bit nasty, but you know what? We do get nasty things in rugby league from time to time. You can't eliminate all of them. Um, and at the end of the day, it was just a bouncing ball that ended up coming off the tip and bouncing pretty high. And and Garrick decided to jump up for it. That's how I saw it. I thought they got it right. Uh, but how do you? How did you see it when you saw it live?
1: Uh, it looks spectacular live, that's for sure. But looking at a live play, I think there was much in it for both going for it. And like when it's flat, he's back. Or just, he's winded. Happens in rugby league. Yeah, coincidentally, he's out this week with a back uh, minor back fracture that he could probably play with, but he's out. So I mean, that's been sensationalised in the media as per program. Looking at it live, I don't think there was much in it. You look at the slow motion replay, still not much in it, but he does make contact with the legs. Should have probably been a penalty and nothing more. Uh, I was happy that it wasn't, because, but the problem is the consistency. That's what we always talk about. And You watch that, and that consistently that would be penalised. That's the thing I have the problem with. I, I don't have a problem. It should probably never be penalised, but it is. So what's a penalty and what's not? That's the problem I've got with it, but there really wasn't much in it. Yeah, and
0: I think this is like talking to some of the media who wanted it penalised and some of the fans that wanted it penalised. I think there's a a couple of really key points to talk to. Like for me, one of them is you can say that there needs to be a rule or it's dangerous as much as you want, but you can't decide, one, a referee can't decide on a field to make up a rule. And two, if you're going to make one up, it's fine if we're going to decide to do that and go down that path. But that doesn't retrospectively mean that you go back in time and call a penalty. Like, that doesn't make any difference to the call, right? So that was always an argument that doesn't make any difference to the call that was made. And the second thing was, well, they pull up as dangerous tackle all the time. There is a rule that you can't put a player into a dangerous position. You put him into a dangerous position. And that's true, but I will say um, a lot... He was competing for the ball. Yeah, that's Just right. right yeah, the that. circumstances and stuff. But one of the things that the referees are looking at with the dangerous tackles is that they've got specific tackles and criteria that are set that are said to be a dangerous tackle. It's basically part of the abridged rules, right? There's interpretations of different rules. And under the dangerous tackle rules, you've got crusher tackles, you've got chicken wing tackles, you've got uh, the lifting tackles with the spear tackles you've got the hip drop tackles. You've got all these tackles that like you're not going to see in the rules of the game in 1908, you know, a hip drop tackle yeah. name specifically and have its own reference point. But you do have dangerous tackles. And then the way the NRL changes these rules is that they put in criteria under dangerous tackles to say, this is what constitutes a dangerous tackle. Now, you can't just make up criteria per se. You can't just say, well, look, it doesn't fit under cannonball or chicken wing or anything else that we consider a dangerous tackle, but we're going to just penalise it anyway because we didn't like the look of it. You know, you, I don't think you, I think it's unfair to expect a referee to do that.
1: Oh, 100%. It's just whether you, you class it as um, the defending player's legs getting taken out. That's the that's the only issue there. I didn't have a problem with it not being a penalty. I was quite um, happy watching it at the, at the time that they had the balls to not give it a penalty just because it looks sensational. Normally in these situations, the last couple of seasons, anything looks sensational, they just fucking penalize. So it was good in that aspect. The only problem I've got with it is just consistency look. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they do. Well,
0: with the consistency too, there is a discretionary, which yeah. we have seen and, and this is a thing, like I've actually blown up massively when a referee has blown his whistle on stuff like this. Because to me it is just making rules up because it, you know someone gets tackled too hard. And you've seen oh. it plenty of times where a referee blows his whistle and says, that's dangerous. And so like, hang on, what did he do that was dangerous? Like there was, there's been a couple um, this year and, you know, Sam Burgess used to get done for it all the time where he used to just, a guy would jump on the ground onto a ball and wouldn't want to move and would want to play dead. And he'd be like, no, if you're not going to get up and play footy, I'm going to bury you. And he'd go in with his shoulder and just smack him. And then uh, every now and then inadvertently it's a penalty because he's been basically yeah. too aggressive. And I hate that. Like, I hate referees coming up with a subjective opinion to say, no, I don't like the look of that. It's too hard. It's too aggressive. It's too dangerous. So I I like that we stick to guidelines that this is what a dangerous tackle is, and we only blow up for that. Unfortunately, like talking the consistency, you're right, there is times where we do say, no, I'm sorry, it's dangerous. And I think that's where we build a rod for our own back because fans expect that discretionary to come in when something's spectacular or might be dangerous or somebody's hurt. And if we were just consistent uh, with the rulings, then we probably wouldn't be in that position. But I dare say, per se, that there would have been as much outcry if it was a penalty as if it wasn't, because I would have also been up out of my seat screaming, well, what's the penalty actually for?
1: Yeah, exactly. But I, I think they got the decision right. But like I said, it's just you look at so many they've got wrong in comparison to it, and you just sort of, I don't know, what are they doing? But I, I'm quite happy if they go that way and actually use common sense like they did in that game.
0: So the aftermath of this is people are talking about uh, rule changes and Valentis have come out and said that they're going to consider it. Uh, To me, I I find that very scary. We've had some very knee-jerk reactionary rule changes thrown in. Um, This is a one-off incident. You're unlikely to see this again in the next 10 years. Um, And to make a rule change on something that's just a one-off freak incident, to me, is absolutely crazy. And despite popular media coverage, he doesn't have a broken back. He's not in a wheelchair. (laughs) He's he's got a small <laughs> fracture that he can actually play with this weekend, Ruben Garrick. Yeah, yeah, that's what I Um so he could actually play with a painkilling injection, Manly came out and said, but this is over, so why would you bother? Uh, but exactly. it's just one of those things where you gotta you can't just change rules all the time. There is gonna be something every weekend that you're gonna go, Well, oh, we should make a rule for that. You can't do it. And my my fear with this is we already have rules for attacking players' legs when they're kicking. Uh we have rules for when a, a player goes up in the air to catch a kick. If we start to make a rule that whenever a player's in the air, you can't touch them, it's just going to be a dog's breakfast because, you know, people have talked about players um, jumping at the defensive line. I don't think it would be quite that spectacular, although it could happen. But one of the big points I'll make is almost every single winger puts themselves, and I'll, I'll say that Garrick Garrett put himself in that position by jumping up and grabbing the ball. You know, he took a risk by jumping up and doing that and he put himself in a role. position. That's his role. And that, that's fine. It was brave of him. But every single winger at the moment, 80% of the tries, they put themselves in a position to get absolutely belted. And you'll see them cartwheel on their heads and uh, end up upside down and all this stuff because they dive at the try line in the air. Now, can you imagine, Perso, if we had a rule that said you're not allowed to touch them when they're in the air? Like, it, it would. there's stuff like that that just wouldn't work in rugby
1: league. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous and nothing like the nrl to be um, reactive and not proactive i thought some of that might have changed under the landings but anyway here we are it's absolutely ridiculous if you're going to start bringing rules like that from the you might as well just say you can't kick in the air anymore you're only grubber
0: well even then under the rule you know if it's a high bouncing grubber <laughs> you could jump but uh
1: yeah, well, you, that's it. Oh, well, you just got to let the black school the try. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, well,
0: I mean, that's the other thing. There's the, there's the grubbers um, with all the things that come out of that. I'll tell you another example. It might have been six weeks ago or something now, but I'm pretty sure it was Jesse Ramian got absolutely belted because there was a high pass and he had to jump up to catch it. Now that was a two-on-one yeah. overlap. So Jesse Brumme, uh Jesse Brumme, Jesse Ramian catches that ball and passes it on. Uh, the Sharks go and go in the corner because they're about thirty meters out and had a clear run of the try line. And what you see all happen was the wingers come in and jammed him and he smacked him in the air before he got to come down. And Jesse Ramian got absolutely belted. Now he's hit him square in the air. He's probably a meter off the ground because he had to jump up to catch the high pass. If he lets him come down, he passes that ball and they score. And you can know And he couldn't have jammed him and stopped that try from happening. You know, there's things like that where it's like you can't bring in some sort of rule to say whenever someone's in the air, you can't hit them. You know, it's just. It doesn't make any football sense, and we've already got it for kicking covered. Yeah. We've already got it for kickers covered. You know, it's just it doesn't make sense to me. We, we should move on, though, to the lateral suspension because that was the other controversial moment.
1: Mm.
0: I'm going to be super controversial here. I've,
1: I've got a feeling I'll be on the uh, same page. Here. I feel absolutely <laughs> filthy talking <laughs> about this. I think it was massively overblown. I couldn't
0: believe it first. So I, I actually couldn't watch this game live. So I had to watch the replay. So I had like two hours of all the social media and all friends and stuff. And like, oh, Lachelle's dirty grub. Came in, you know, with a flying elbow to the head, blah, blah, blah. Got simmed in. I was like, geez, this must have been bad. And then I was watching the game and I eventually got to you're it. You're thinking
1: Joey Manu's situation again, are you? It blew up.
0: Yeah, and I eventually got to the play and I didn't even see anything wrong with it initially. Like, I had to watch the replay three times.
1: Nothing. To in see it, what no. happened.
0: And then I was like, all oh, right. Latrell Let, had his angry face on. He came in to hit him. But you're allowed to come in and be a bit aggressive. And anyone that's played footy would know, like, when you've been going at someone and him and Frizzell were going at each other, that you go and have a look for him. And to me, that was just uh, oh. Hey, hey, freeze! Remember me. I'm going to come in and belt you. Don't forget, you know, and you know, he's one up on you, sort of thing. And like he did go in with his forearm. I didn't even think it was that much of an elbow, but he did go in with his forearm and he did go down on him. And I'm fine for it to be a penalty for sure, of course. Um, but to me, like it wasn't direct contact to the head, per so It wasn't that bad. He got sent to the bin. It just, I thought, look, this is going to be a fine, and then we move on, and I'm and I'm okay with that. I, I actually feel. That, South, that South's losing him for a week is a little bit over the top.
1: Oh, it was ridiculous. I was I was watching the game live, and a bit of a melee broke out straight afterwards, and the guys coming all over the place. And when there was someone, getting, I thought Tane Milne was going to get Simbin from running in from miles away as he always does, and but I stood in the bin and drill went and they looked at it like, come on, like a penalty, yeah. Came in, know, top, didn't make contact there. I anything it was in his back. It was, there was there was absolutely nothing in it, and I'll say it now, an old standby. If it wasn't Latrell, no one would even be talking about it. It's like the it was JWH for the Chooks, You know, that's the sort of he'd get targeted with that sort of. There was nothing in it at all, and to get suspended for it, I think is absolutely ridiculous. And then the media to blow up and say anyone saying it was, you know, it was a frustrating game for us. Yeah, it was a dumb play. It's a pet worth a penalty, hundred percent. But there was nothing in it to say that it should have even been ten minutes, let alone a suspension. I reckon it's ridiculous. Yeah,
0: as a Roosters fan, I'm very happy that he's suspended, but and um I've also been very critical of Latrell and some of his play and um I'm finding myself on his side, which um I don't know how I feel about it. But it's I've gotta be honest, like I I kind of <laughs> agree with you and I like I don't think it's I 100% think that if it wasn't the trail, and this is one of the things that a lot of people are bringing up, you know, but he's always a grub. He's got this in his game. But yeah, but you can't you can't use that as a barometer to, to throw down a one-game suspension. And you can't even use prior seasons. Like the NRL's brought in this thing where now, in the last couple of years, it's it's reset every year, your suspension sheet, right? So what's he done this year? That's all it is. What's his charges this year? And it's not like he's got a mountain of charges this year to say that he's he's grubby and he's doing all these things. So you can't throw the book at him to say, look, past behaviour. We've had enough. You can't do that. So as much as like you might want to make that argument, sure, and I'll agree. Like Latrell's got some grubbiness in his game, and he gets frustrated, and he does silly things, and it was silly.
1: You can't make that argument anyway, Barchie. But philandis came out and cleaned everyone's shoot at the start of last season.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't work. You can't just go over the rules just because you, you feel a certain way about a player or because in the past they've done some grubby stuff. You know, it's, I, I agree. Like, I was actually quite surprised with the troll that he came out and said, you know, I've worked hard the last couple of years to get out of my game and I don't want to do it anymore. And, I, I you know, and I, I thought it showed some self-awareness and stuff that he hasn't really had until the last couple of years, probably. So, you know, I thought it was good that he recognized it. But I can go one step further, per You say if it wasn't the trail, I reckon that if he had a, his non-angry face on and he just came in and did that, no one would have noticed. You know, it was because they were talking at each other and he had his angry face on and he was coming in to hit him. And I dare say there was a few choice words when he was running in as well.
1: Oh, yeah. And you can blame the rest of the South too for that as well. If they didn't come in and create that little melee going on and Brazil would have just got up and played the ball.
0: Well, and that's the thing too, right? And anyone that's played footy knows this. Like you've got these games that just simmer the whole game. And that game, like
1: There was a fair bit of niggle in that game.
0: It was simmering it was simmering the whole game. It was one of those games where twenty years ago you would have you would have been able to put a dollar one odds on there being an all in brawl. You know, to me it was just it was gonna happen. And that's just what happens, you know, everyone blows up because the fuse is a is a little bit smaller on everybody on the field. And something that might be relatively small is just the straw that breaks the camel's back, and everyone comes in and goes, "Nah, if this, I've had it. Let's go." You know, and that's sort of to me what happened. That was the the pinnacle of a game that was frustrating for both teams with a lot of niggle. Um, Look, it's he's going to miss the game. We need to talk about Souths as well. What is happening at Souths? What do you make of all this stuff that's happened? We've got Sam Burgess gone. We've got rumblings of the coach not getting along with the coaching staff. We've got rumblings of preferential treatment. Cody Walker and Latrell, there's rumblings about other senior players not all seeing eye to eye. What do you make of all of this? Because at the end of the day, all these rumours are rumours, but the numbers don't lie. Souths have been losing and they've been playing poor football.
1: Yeah, it's the old where there's smoke, there's fire, but does that mean it's just a little burning ember or is it a holocaust? I think it's more towards the burning ember side of things. Uh, From what I can take out of it, they've blown it out of proportion. Obviously, there's a bit happening there. But, um, you know, (laughs) earlier in the week, Ricky was saying on 360 that Morris and Burgess are both getting the sack and all this sort of garbage. But um, I think there's definitely a non-see eye to eye with um, Sammy and JD. Um, How much of that's affecting the team? Not too sure. I mean, there's some fairly strong personalities at that club. Sam's very early in his coaching career. He's a staunch dude. He's a, a sort of a, he played a lot on a match too, which is sort of the, I've set this standard and everyone has to be that way. And it's a bit my way of the highway type scenario. So you could see why um, J.D. and Sam would clash on certain aspects that they expect out of the players. J.D.'s come through under Wayne Bennett. Everyone knows Wayne Bennett's the best man, manager in the competition for a long time as far as coaches goes, And he's had a long standing of um, tactics when it comes to some certain players, you've got to coach differently. They, they've got to do different things. I mean, you go right back to Steve Renoff, was always allowed to miss certain training sessions and things like that. And there's stories about other players whinging about it. And Bennett said, well, when you can do what he can do on the field. You can have a rest with him. <laughs> there's always um, a couple of ways that uh, this story goes. I, I, and at the end of the day, Sam was gone. If South's, um lose next. Week to the Roosters, which I expect they will. Sam was gone in nine or ten days anyway, so there's a massive beat up that he was punted. But I'm going
0: um, to, to say with that point though, because I thought the same thing. Um, because all, like all the means, obviously, like oh Sam, sensation he leaves the Rabbitohs, and so like, well we we already announced that a couple of weeks ago. He's already going. Um, but on the flip side of that though, per time so, it It's ridiculous. It is crazy that in nine days he could have been flying out to Warrington.
1: That's right. Surely, professionally, you could live it on closed doors
0: yeah and from everything that's been sort of said and stuff like it, you can't take sides because you don't know what's happened but it just seems like to me if I was going to look at what's there what we can see I would say Dimitri has got a lot to answer for because even if he's not meaning to do it um, if you're a head coach you've got to be able to have the professionalism and leadership to be able to quell that storm and surely he and, At also least the, two months. <laughs> and also the South Power Brokers and executives should know, we've just got to get through the next couple of weeks. And if we make the finals, one, the slate's almost wiped clean because Sammy will be up for the finals and be like, all well, right, let's do this, let's get a premiership. And he'll be up for it. And even if you, and if you don't, you know, in less than a fortnight, it's all over anyway and you let Sammy go and every, and there's no media coverage and stuff. So you would have thought that they would have been able to have the type of, leadership leading up to this and the type of experience to to get that, because the the timing is just, the timing says that there is problems because there is no simple common sense reason that Sam Bird just walks out of South Sydney yesterday and doesn't come back when there is less than two weeks left of a season remaining, unless they make the top eight and their season's on the line and they're under huge pressure. No other narrative makes sense.
1: No, not at all. I, there's definitely a clash between Sammy and J D and I reckon Sam would have been staunch on his views and he'd probably have the shits that it's all getting played out in the media and it's just like, Well, I'm not changing my stance, so if you don't want me I'll go in here. And that's that's the unprofessional thing from South. So should have whatever was going on, surely you could hose it down for a, you know, could be ten days, could be two months. That's that's the disappointing thing if you're a South fan and all this is played out and you know, it's there's definitely some unrest there in the change room.
0: And I will say I I don't think that Souths are the type of club that, like Dez Hasler and the Manly Sea Eagles back in the day had a really good siege mentality where Dez would feed off it and he'd make his team feed off it and they would play better because of this stuff. They'd go to war. I don't think Souths been that type of club. I think it, it makes them worse, Perso.
1: No, they go to war. They do.
0: And it showed because this has been simmering and they've won four out of the last 13 games, I think it is now.
1: Yeah, pre-Origin at round 11, they were sitting top of the table. So there's definitely something that's not working at the moment. Uh,
0: a lot been, lot's of been said on the senior players and stuff. Uh, look, Cameron Murray is a young captain, but...
1: They don't really have senior players, money Yeah. Not like the old... Look, they're, they're a young sword, Look, there's no real senior forwards, and well, Murray's a young captain, and your senior players are guys like Trell and Walker and Cookie. Yeah, and uh,
0: yeah, look... Elephant in the room is Latrell and, and Cody Walker. You know they've always been fairly difficult personalities. Uh, I I think yep. myself, just looking at the information that's there, I think that the coach has gone in and not tried to coach how he coaches, and tried to go on and extenuate uh, and extend the Wayne Benedera in his coaching style with some of these guys. Hundred percent. You can't do that, like. And
1: that's the that's the clash we're seeing. Even
0: as, even in other jobs. Yeah, You have to make your own role. you got to do it yourself as a leader. And there's no point in trying to replicate somebody else's leadership because that's not yours. It's not going to come naturally, and you're not going to be as good as, at facets of it as what they were, and then things come apart. Now, Wayne Bennett was is known as a great man manager. He could do things with Cody Walker or Latrell Mitchell that would work and the team would buy into. I don't think that JD can. And I think it's a big error in judgment in his coaching career to decide to go down that path. And you're also, I think, with someone like Wayne Bennett, he could do it because he had the authority and the respect where he would either get a response or he'd have no problem saying it how it is. And, like, I'm sure that he could give Latrell Mitchell all the leeway in the world, but three months down the line, say, mate, you've not been playing well, pull your socks up and get it done now and stop this bullshit. And Latrell would respond. Whereas now, I think... Demetrius tries to get to that point and have to pull that line, and he's not being respected or listened to because he just doesn't have that from like a Wayne Bennett does.
1: Well, Luttrell's form speaks for itself, doesn't it, Barney? Since he's come back from that long layoff with that calf injury, his form has been, let's be honest, pretty ordinary. And he looks like he's running freely, so it's got nothing to do with that lingering injury. There's obviously some attitude there. Well, I mean, the performance on the weekend was disgraceful. I mean, it's the worst performance I've seen from Luttrell Mitchell probably ever. It was so bad.
0: It's finally been called out by the media a bit too. Like, I made a comment on, on the weekend and look, I'm pleasantly surprised that finally Latrell Mitchell is getting um, some pressure because look, I'm just going to unload here. And uh, it's not a Luttrell bash or anything else. I've said many times, I think, that he's at times the best player in the league. He had a two-month stint last year he he was untouchable he He was was unstoppable the best player in the league for two months and he he's always thereabouts in the top five type of players in the game He is a fantastic rugby league player one of my problems with him has always been all the things that are issues with him or development areas right now have been there his whole life and that was one of the problems at the roosters and ultimately one of the big reasons he left was because trent robinson wasn't going to take any rubbish. Trent Robinson sensationally dropped him to Wong for a few weeks, which was made a lot of coverage and stuff. Um, Trent Robinson wasn't going to give him this, the number six jumper, which, you know, he gave him a go at, but then said, nah, you're going back to center. Um, and he just, he basically was going to handle him with some care, but also fairly sternly. And by the end of his Roosters tenure, it was, um, Latrell wanted things his way, and he wasn't training hard enough by all accounts, and it just wasn't good enough. And that's one of the reasons why he ended up deciding to leave as well. And it's always going to be a problem with Latrell Mitchell. Under Wayne Bennett, it was less of a problem. Under other coaches, it's going to be a massive problem per se. And I don't understand, at this point of his career, how things like conditioning can be an issue. You know, you've got to be a professional by this point. You've got to come in from a pro into a preseason condition. You've got to come into game one with the conditioning there. He looks absolutely shot on the conditioning front, but that has been Latrell Mitchell playing fullback pretty much the whole time he's been at South, right? His positional play has been off. Sometimes his defense has been off. Oftentimes his effort has been off. A lot of the time his work rate gets talked about. And these are all parts of his game. And it's just him. And until he decides or a coach gets the best out of him to make him decide to be more professional, to work harder, and he recognises that that's all part of leadership, it's always going to be a fine line with the of being a superstar that's going to win you games or a guy that's actually going to detract from the rest of the team.
1: Yeah, 100%. I never mean, said he be, The only time he showed or what you just said then was when he came back last year after seeing the hamstring whisperer in the States. He actually looked as fit as I've ever seen him and he was he was – no coincidence that he was so dominant in that run last year He just haven't seen that from him at all really i mean the start of the season he wasn't playing bad but he wasn't he wasn't firing what like he was last year and then after having that layoff with the calf injury he's come back and to be honest he hasn't done much at all he just i don't know if it's an interesting or what's going on there but at one point you were saying south are going to be the team to, to knock penrith off this year and now you're looking at him going I mean, there's no way they're making the eight. If they sneak in, they'll probably get beat by 40.
0: Well, my grand final was Souths and Roosters at the start of the year. <laughs> And I thought yeah. I was stupid six weeks ago about the Roosters, mate. The Roosters got way more chances than Souths to get there. Oh,
1: that's it. I mean, it's just, like I said before with mate, there's fire. The media runs and stuff, but there's definitely something that's not um, clicking at the bunnies dressing room at the moment, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, i I I think I've just unloaded on Latrell Perso, but he's just one factor and he's only a player. Um, At the end of the day, the leadership at the top and the coaching um, has a big role to play. I think that there's probably seven or eight guys that have got a huge responsibility in this whole fiasco. Uh, Latrell is just one of them. Uh, Cody Walker is obviously another one and everybody sort of knows that. And I think one of the things with South's Perso, just to finish off on this, is with any NRL club, you're always going to be on a fine line when you decide to get these type of personalities and whether that's, you think that you can change them or whether you're just going to let them go on and do what they do, knowing that there is big risks involved with that. You're going to be on a real fine line. And they had that covered with Wayne Bennett being there. When you don't have Wayne Bennett there, appeals back and you've got a big problem. And only way that I think that you can stop that is by having another really good coach or coaching staff or, if you've got other senior players and you hit the nail on the head when you said, well, they are the senior players, you know, if you had two other guys that were really highly respected, like if you had a, a Cooper Cronk,
1: you had Sam Burgess still in Sam that Burgess side. Yeah, yeah, the Sam Burgess and Cooper that Cronk, side.
0: you know, you had Cooper Cronk at half and Sam Burgess at prop, you know, I don't think that you would see this. Um, I think those 100%. guys would get pulled into line, but you don't have that. So it's always going to be one of those things where, I don't want to say you get what you deserve, but Souths had to have known what they're in for by the way that Matt Well, exists. that's
1: got to go back on recruitment, retention, and coaching staff, doesn't it? That, that, that they are your senior players, and they haven't got those sort of hard heads there to, to keep a line of where they want to be. I mean, you, it's a recipe for disaster with Cody Walker and Trell Mitchell are your two uh, senior players, isn't it, really? Let's be honest. Mm.
0: It's about like uh, setting standards and examples and stuff as well. And I don't. I have to say that's the point. The, the Latrell Mitchell, I, I will give Latrell Mitchell a pass on that concert. Like I think it's ridiculous. People are bringing up that concert he had. Like we you, you saw him on on video, had one beer at a country music concert like on stage like who cares like that's honestly that makes no difference to anything that doesn't point to any sort of behavior or anything else not
1: like he was held out of a nightclub at three o'clock no. in the morning being blind drug like let's be serious no. about that I, stuff. I find it funny when people bring that up but they're too scared
0: to say look troll mitchell's eight kilos overweight overplaying weight to play fullback you know yeah. like <laughs> there, there is exactly. definitely stuff there
1: but that isn't... You can't blame Mitchell for getting up on stage there. There's nothing uh, with that at all. That's not why. That's not why it. it. lost. But that. I am
0: a little bit disappointed in... Like we say, Murray's a young leader. He's still in his mid-20s. Like, and he's in his prime now. And he's been in first grade for a long time and played all levels. So I do expect a little bit more from him. Like, if he's going to be a, a captain, I, I sort of am not seeing as much from him on the field as what I would like as far as the leadership and stuff.
1: Is he captain material, though, Barnes? Are you, you look at a Maybe guy like not, Pat, yeah. Paddy, Paddy Carrigan, who obviously commands the respect at a younger age. Maybe Murray's just a, a really good footballer and he's not that comfortable being in that role.
0: Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that, and that's not his fault. You know, he's still a phenomenal player, and if that's the case, that's the case. Um, but hes I, don't, I question whether his captaincy is going to be a successful one at this point. And also, so. Damien Cook. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed in Damien Cook because I've always held Damien Cook in really high esteem. And I thought that his leadership, how he talks off the field, how he prepares himself uh, and his experience, you know, I've, I've got huge respect for Damien Cook. And I would have thought that he would have had more of an influence. But from all the talk and stuff, it's not there.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the, there's no captain steering the ship at the south. That's sort of what you sort of take out of all this. Isn't it?
0: Well, look. We don't want to bash the house too much because the fans are going to be in the doldrums and I do feel for them, actually, because like I said, I don't think that Charles should have got suspended <laughs> and really, you know, they're, they're going to miss the nah, potentially. Definitely
1: shouldn't have been suspended. Old salty Tigers fan doesn't mind bashing the bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that is a Roosters fan, but I do
0: feel for the fans. Uh, I do think that there's going to be a bit of a, a shake-up next year, though. I tell you what, I think that um, there's going to be some pretty tough decisions well, that I, are going to need to be made.
1: If South don't come out of the blocks and... They're not performing well, and all of a sudden, there's a whole lot of pressure on J.D., isn't there? There is, Um, which, you know, we're both bashed the coach a little bit as well, but
0: I'll say as much pressure as there is on him, it should be on all the rest of those senior players as well. Oh, 100%. Um, and Cody Walker, you know, it, it's like he... <laughs> it, this wasn't the case at all, because I don't even think it would have been on his mind, but if you were just a, a punter just having a look at rugby league for his season, you'd go... Cody Walker was just playing in New South Wales jersey, and, then, and that's all he wanted. Because honestly, before that, he was killing it, and after 100%. that New South Wales jersey, he just did nothing. He's, he was on just...
1: fire that first half of the season, Buzz, wasn't he? And then he, mm. he's saying like he's just being quiet as a church mouse. That's I don't know what's going on.
0: Very bizarre. Well, I'm sure that there'll be more to this story to unfold for us to unpack and chat about. Um, let's move along. TPJ, David Penguin Junior, <laughs> the big fellow, has retired as of season's end, leaving $750,000 on the table next year. Very contentious. Uh, I will go against some popular media opinion and say good on him. Uh, I actually like reading the stories, seeing his interview. Uh, I, I feel like he's being really genuine. And when you talk to people, even he's coached now, but even people like Wayne Bennett and stuff, they all say he's he's a really thoughtful guy. He's very different off the field. Even players that have played with him say that. Um, and he's got, you know, high morals and stuff. He's a very religious guy. And I think that it's great that, like, he's come out and said that he was pushed into rugby league. He never actually really, really, really loved it. And that happens with a lot of Islander kids. You know, they do get pushed into it because that is a sport to play. Um, It is a bit of a cultural thing. And I think it's great that he's been so honest. And a lot of players would go through and be happy to be, like, he's always going to be in the Bulldog 17. And even playing average, he'll be in the Bulldogs 17 next year. He could go on and just take 750K next year and and do that and then go and box afterwards. But he's going to leave that on the table and back himself because he wants to do boxing. And, oh, look, I, I think it's a good thing. Like, it's really good. You don't want someone to stay in rugby league that doesn't want to be there. You don't want someone taking up a young kid's spot. You don't want someone taking up salary cap that should be spent on someone else. And if he wants to be a professional boxer, like, I'd like to see him succeed. So... I I don't buy into all the conspiracy stuff per se, but how do you feel about his retirement?
1: I'm exactly the same boat as you. Kudos to him. I mean it's not like he's leaving peanuts on the table to walk away from the game and, and I mean he's always liked boxing, it's always been there, so if that's what he wants to chase and save be okay. Go. Well, I, I praise him for doing it. Um the, the conspiracy theory that he's chewing up too much cap and he's been given the tap on the shoulder to Free up cap space. I mean, he could go to another club and get pretty good coin. <laughs> so, yeah, be, I don't know. I, I can't see how hey, you can make a negative narrative out of this. So, good luck to him.
0: I Even if he does come back to rugby league, I don't see it being in the next two years. Like, I think that he'll you'll he'll, he'll get boxing and go for a couple of years before he might come back to rugby league. And, you know, it might be the case that um, he's if he's unsuccessful in boxing and he finds that he misses the game, I again think that, that would be a genuine comeback. I don't think that it would point to anything. Yeah, Conspiracy like or controversial or anything. And at the end of the day, one of the things that I think um makes a lot of sense is that is twenty seven years old. Uh that's a really good age for him to put it all into boxing. Like we've seen some older boxes throughout our lifetimes per se, you know, especially heavyweight division. You oh, see, Paul guys... like
1: Gallen was reasonably successful when he made the transition at mm. thirty eight.
0: Yeah, and I think that, that um, the TPJ is looking at this very seriously. Like, I think I genuinely believe that he wants to be a, a professional boxer and he wants to aim for the heavyweight title. And to do that, like, it was one of the arguments I always had about Paul Gallen. He was never going to do that. Like, people were like, oh, he needs to take on proper fights. He needs to fast for boxing. He needs to be, you know, pushing to be a contender and all this stuff if he wants to take it seriously. He was in it like he enjoyed boxing and he wanted to make money and he knew at his age he was never going to be able to do that. You can't go into boxing at that age and make a fist of it. But at 27 years old, you can go into boxing. He's a genuine chance, 100%. He's a genuine chance if he goes now to actually make a fist of it if he's
1: a talented boxer. Yeah, so good luck to him. I hope he does. I'd love to see him be the Australian heavyweight title holder. NRLW Players of the Week.
0: This is a bit more positive to talk about. Um, NRLW Premiership, by the way, it's just been absolutely flying. I've really enjoyed it. There was some Fantastic games on the weekend. Um, when you're having a look at the team of the week and some of the score lines, you know, it's uh, we normally look at three or four or five of the, the best players of the, of the round. Um, for me, I was watching that Roosters performance, and Taran Aiken was outstanding. Uh, I don't know if you caught that one per se, but the Roosters over the Titans, it was a bit of a beat up. Um not quite the Sharks beat up on the Cowboys, but 30 to 8 full time, the Rooster's accounted for the Titans on Saturday. And Taryn Aiken, her stats, she had two try assists, three line break assists, but she scored a try where she's gone through and run through a gap and then chipped over the fullback and run and chased and gotten to the ball first and put it down for the try. And it was it's up there for try of the year. It was absolutely sensational. So I well, I really liked Aiken coming in into the halves this year for the Roosters. And I thought that she was going to be one of the better players in the game. She's she's killed it on the weekend. So she was one for me. Did you manage to catch a Roosters-Titans game?
1: No, I didn't catch that game. But I, she's been on fire. Once I've seen her, along same with the your two centres there, with um, Sergis and Kelly. I mean, uh, Millie Boyle. How good is she? I didn't watch that game on the weekend. But um, yeah, I, she's a fantastic player. My um, pick was is from the, the Knights game, Jessie Southwell getting that conversion from the sideline to win the game in front of a, a massive crowd. It was a sellout at the Knights, and there would have been at least 18,000 in the seats watching that game, which is fantastic for the women's game.
0: Yeah, I love watching Jessie Southwell play. She's um such a competitor. Like and You saw it on her face when she kicked that, and she just wanted it. Like She wanted to have that kick. She loved it, and afterwards she's cheering, and she's like that all the time. You know, she is such a competitor and she's just, she's the sort of person that you want in your team, regardless of what sport you play.
1: Yeah. And she's a product of the Young Lokes junior team, too, the, the mighty Katara Bears. So, uh, her and her sister have products here, with the Katara Bears, doing a sprout. But, um, yeah, it was fantastic to see. And I, I, I love that uh, you sort of get in a bit of a reserve grade feel with the girls going mm. to playing before the men's games. So I, I think it's fantastic for the sport. Well, that was a huge win
0: because they, they had to keep coming from behind against the Broncos. Who are
1: a premiership threat, and they won twenty-two
0: to twenty with that conversion from Southwell. Uh, I tell you what, the centre for the Knights, Shanice
1: Parker, she was good.
0: Two two oh. very crucial tries that ended up really sealing it for them.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll be looking forward to watching that live this week. Actually, the wife and I are going into the game. and it's sold out again, so the girls are playing before the boys. So it'll be a a, uh, a big crowd again and a big game. Uh, I'll be a bit more feedback, but um, yeah, I'm loving the, the women's game. I, I must say, I was a bit skeptical. I'll say i was skeptical, but a bit worried that they might have tried to expand a little bit too quick. But the the ten teams comp seems to be working really well. But it's...
0: yeah, I, I was a little bit worried about it too. But it's put it all to rest, especially when you look at the table and you see all the, the, the new teams winning. Um, the other thing, yeah, that, they're going well. That Shanice Parker did on the weekend. Aside from the two tries, is that the week before? Per se, I was talking about how Mele Hafunga. For the Broncos and the centers <laughs> is just unstoppable, and I would be scared to have to play against her. And she kept it quiet; she didn't score a try.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, that's fairly impressive.
0: And I, I don't think many centers are going to keep a Funga quiet this year, so because she's just an outstanding player. So you know, I, I thought that was great. Um, so I had her down for the Knights as well. Uh, I also thought that um, for your Knights and this, this is such a Knights flavour, but they they were just so impressive in the weekend. Tamika Upton's been there every single week. Like, you look at the best performers, half a dozen every week, and she's up there most of the time. She had a couple of line breaks, um, but she ran for 260 metres and had nine tackle busts and a tri-assist. Like, she just, the work that she puts in, it's, it's almost, and I don't mean this in a negative light, but it's almost too professional for where the game is at at the moment. Like, there's a few players that just look... The game is in uh, its infancy yeah, for the NRLW, level. so you do have uh, a lot of girls still developing and, and everything, and that's normal. Whereas she just looks like, Upton just looks like she's been a fullback in a past life. She looks like she's done this for 25 years.
1: Yeah, very professional. She just definitely looks at part, doesn't she? Well, it's, um, like uh, the halfback at um, the rightest as well. I think she's looked been really good this season. Zahara Tamara she's been around. She's been around for a bit, but like she's fit into that team, and they all sort of, they look like a good combinations going on the road. It's for a side that's new into the comp, and yeah, that. But I just—I'm so impressed with how quickly the girls' game has like improved. You, see, you watched it when it first came in, and you know, no disrespect, but it was sort of like you're watching under fourteen boys playing like that style of footy. But how professional it's gotten, got now, their players have got, and they all play with heart. They still play a bit off the cuff. It's a really good brand of footy to watch.
0: Yeah, it is. And they don't go overboard with the ref decisions and stuff either. They actually nah. let it free flow quite a bit, um, which you've got to question why a little bit. Like, you know, are you doing that because this is a women's cop and the men's cop, your referee, a bit differently? Like, because the way that they call it, it's a lot better. Um, and it's a lot oh, more so. men's. Hmm. I mean, the, the Sharks had a big win on the weekend, I mentioned 40 to 12. They absolutely belted the Cowboys. And this was one where, if you looked on Pigglebet, they were $1.90 each. So it was meant to be an even contest and the Sharks absolutely drilled them. The last one I'm going to mention for the round, Tiana Penetani for the Sharks. The centre and also captain, um, New South Welsh, Welsh woman. 196 metres but 80 post-contact metres. I'm just so impressed all the time. I've mentioned it with um, Isabel Kelly before for the Roosters. Pemetani is just so powerful as a centre. Uh, 80 post-contact metres, two offload eight date tackle breaks and she was just... It was a massive captain's knock for her, um, and she didn't get a, she didn't get a try itself in a forty point thrashing, but she was just one of the constants there that was just a handful the entire game and really laid the platform. So I thought she was outstanding. We do need to move on. We're going to talk about our last four segments that we have every week: the positive pitch, something positive to talk about in rugby league. This one's a bit controversial person, I and mean, the positive pitch isn't meant to be controversial, it's meant to be a big feel-good one. But um some people don't think this is too positive, but I actually do.
1: Uh I do. <laughs> I do. I've seen a lot of negative feedback on this, but I'll let you lead it in, Barzi.
0: Las Vegas 2024. Uh look, we've we've chosen the Broncos, the Seagulls, the Rabbitohs, and the Roosters to play. And I, I think it's it's hugely positive that we've locked this into Las Vegas. Now I know a lot of well, some people have been negative about it. Why are we spending money to go to Las Vegas? Nothing's going to come of it, blah, blah, I think it's fantastic. Like, honestly, you need to go on and do these type of things. You need to have these type of exhibitions. And you also need, as a game, to be able to do things differently at times. And people say, oh, it's just about gambling revenue. I don't think it is at all. But you know what? Devil's Advocate, let's say it is. So what? If that if that gives us an extra $100 million, like maybe that can be put into grassroots. You know, you've got to make money to put money into grassroots. You've got to make money to put in development. You've got to make money to put into clubs. You've got to make money to put it everywhere. So making money, regardless of where it comes from, who cares? You know, if if it's to make gambling money, we're going to make a lot of gambling money over there. Um, But the other thing too is that getting a new audience, and people will argue a lot about this saying, you know, America's not interested at all. It's it's not you're not trying to get perso uh, Americans to buy into it straight away and to go well I'm going to follow that instead of the NFL or whatever. the The market in America is so big. You were talking about a fraction fraction of a percent jumping on for it to make millions. And at the end of the day, they love sport. This type of game goes well for them. And even just the Vegas spectacle itself. I've been to Vegas a, a few times. Every time I've gone and done different stuff because it's like, wow, look at all the cool stuff you can do in Vegas. I've never done any of this stuff before. You will get people going to that game because it's just something cool to do in Vegas and Vegas is one of the funnest cities in the world to go to. And, you know, speaking of that, for players, oh, I don't know about South Sydney at the moment going to Las Vegas <laughs> next year, but that's another story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, I'm assuming it'll be the Roosters and South. So, I mean, that'll be... A, a, a classic over there oh, I love it oh, it's um you've got to expand the game you've got to look at ways of expanding the revenue for the game and I mean America's an untapped um market really I mean it, you see look Americans uh, they are sporty people and they are open to new sport when they see like our sports they look at it and go wow you know well, when their eyes are open to it they really enjoy it so I think In terms of the population as well. Yeah, that's right. So I think it's a fantastic opportunity. I mean, no one's expecting rugby league to be the main sport over there, but if we can get a bit of interest and they can get a solid, like long term looking at it, it's, it's a massive revenue. I mean, people talk about oh, the game, it's all about gambling and well, viewing is where the money comes from, not so much gambling. But mm-hmm. like, The gambling uh, agencies make money on it. There's only a small percentage that goes back to the NRL. The NRL's money comes from pay per view TV. So that's all it is in the States. If we we can get on to over there and get a market over there for pay per view, then that's a lot more revenue that comes into the game. And that's money that we can have that you can put back down into the grassroots and everything else. So people say, Oh, well, we're paying this money to go over there, you're taking four teams to America. I mean, how much money do you think we're paying to go there for one exhibition double header? You know? That's not gonna save Bush football, the money that we're spending to take two teams over there. So you got to well, be.
0: Well, it's meant to be. People talk about it being like several million dollars, but I think that's over the course of the five years as well. That's right. Um, so, uh, look, the other thing too is that with doing this, you need to remember in America, there's. I think they only get one, one televised game per week or something like that, um, unless they're going to stream stuff online and, and things through NRL and, and stuff like that. So you're only getting one that say Fox over there will actually put on a week. You know, if you can get it thrown on there every game, even though they're you know, even you get them delayed and you're playing during the right hours for for America and stuff, it, it's a massive win. And again, you're not looking per se for for rusted on fans and stuff or anything like that. Like, I'll I'll have while I'm working during the day sometimes I'll put ESPN on and the baseball. will be on. I actually follow the baseball a little bit now. You know, yeah, I don't love baseball. I'm not heaps into it. But I'll put it on and I'll pay attention occasionally and I'll watch it while I'm doing other stuff because I love sport. It's not in the top seven sports that I watch, but I'll, I'll put it on now. And that's just because it's on. You know, it's, it's available.
1: That's right. You can't
0: get it available unless you build that interest and you build those exactly. contacts over there and stuff and start to expand. So You yeah, if
1: it's, it's on the fourth TV in, a, in bars over there, you know? I mean, that's all, that's all revenue coming back, isn't
0: it? Yeah, exactly. And, and look, it, it's the humble beginnings of building something as well. Like you're not going to get rusted on fans overnight. You're not going to get a huge percentage of anything over there at all. And maybe you never will, but eventually you will get a decent following. Now, maybe that's a hundred years down the track, but it's got to start somewhere. You know, it, it will build, but you've got to start somewhere in 1908 rugby league. Wasn't near as popular as what it is now. And it wasn't near as good either. You have to start somewhere. This is a great place to start. And I think that, um, You've got to do things differently. So I think it's hugely positive. And I think that the clubs and the players and stuff are going to be on board, mate. I think that they're going to enjoy it.
1: 100%. I think so, Aussie fans. I mean, how many Aussie fans are going to be already planning, let's go to Vegas? I'm super keen. I was super keen before (laughs) they
0: were going. but
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's just the baddest. We're going to do everything you do in Vegas and we're going to watch the game of footy and then (laughs) it's fantastic. Spray
0: of the week time. Schuster's contract. I cannot believe that we we're already starting to talk in the media about, oh, they're going to have to look to unload the contract. This is a contract that was done a month ago, Perso. Like, if you are seriously worried about a contract that you gave to someone a month ago, the whole head office of a club needs to get sacked, and so does the coach. $800,000 a year is a huge investment. He's the fourth highest paid player in that team, and instead of developing him and throwing him on as a starting edge back rower and copying your lumps for the next couple of weeks, they've dropped Josh Schuster this week. Now, I'm not going to say that he doesn't deserve it, Perso. I'm not going to say that I think he's a good NRL player. I'm not going to say that I think he's going to make it. I actually have been an ardent non-supporter of Josh Schuster pretty much his whole career, because I think the writing's been on the wall that he's had a poor work ethic and a poor attitude, and you've seen that in his play ever since you saw him debut in the NRL. Now, in saying that, if you're a club that decides that you love him and he's a great prospect and he's going to be your fourth highest paid player and you're going to give him a four-year deal and go to 800K a year, then you cannot possibly, in any stretch of the imagination, be looking at moving him on or even next year, per se, if mainly looked at moving him on, I think everyone should be sacked. Like That is just horrible management and you talk about clubs just killing themselves. This is a prime example. Everybody, before the contract was done, could say it was too long, it was too much money and it was bound to fail, and Manly did it anyway, and now a month later they want to jump on the bandwagon probably and say, oh look, we probably made a mistake with that. Like That's just not good enough from an NRL head office.
1: Oh, you hit the nail on the head, buzzing 100%. It's just, this whole Schuster saga has just been ludicrous from day one, really. Like, <laughs> I don't know, he has never shown enough to be warned of that money, but obviously something in the club they've decided to, and well, I mean, you're going to throw a kid who's whatever it is effort he's putting in now, and you put 800k. He's not going to put more effort in. Like, I, I just don't get it. That's um, such a Tigers thing to do, really. Being <laughs> a Tigers sport, it's something we do offer him 800k to come over and he comes over and does nothing. I just, yeah, that's that's bizarre. I mean, was, at one point he was talking, he was getting shopped around, and then all of a sudden he's on 800k. So I don't know. But, yeah, that that's a little bit weird, and uh, very poor management, that's for sure. So they put him at five eight, and then they go ahead and they've got Luke Brooks. So obviously they they knew that was failing. After they've signed him to the eight hundred k, they're going to resign him to going back to the edge. And you have got a guy who's like, putting well, no disrespect to Kelma along, but he's no superstar, and he can't get a spot over him on the edge.
0: It's it's gonna it's gonna fail badly, and it's gonna fail very quickly. And manly head should roll there. Listen, um, listeners corner, I was talking about this with a a few people actually. Best rugby league nicknames, <laughs> Perso. What do you got for me? I'm sure you've got some great ones that you loved.
1: Oh, there's a few. Um, I mean, everyone always loves a brick with was the, the lasso on that. But um, you got to go back further than that. I always, one that always tickled me was Phil Sigsworth. His nickname was What's a packeter What's a packet of Sigsworth? That was quite good. <laughs> that was and good uh, Matt Hilda, that used to run around with the Knights and the Sharks. Mm-hmm. His nickname was Waltzing Waltzing Matt Hilda. I thought that was quite good. <laughs> um I used to play with a guy called Barry Matthews. We used to call him Rice Basmati. That was one of the verses, not famous, but that was a good nickname. But yeah, gotta love a good nickname.
0: uh Well, I'm going to bring up one that I always come back to. And in these times of inflation rates, tough to purchase goods just to keep your household running. Fuel's very expensive, perso. But when petrol seventy cents a litre was around,
1: <laughs> that was the time. That
0: was the time to drive.
1: That's nostalgic, isn't petro
0: it? Petro seven to big petro. <laughs> the great Roy HG call it petrol seventy cents a litre. I, I hung on to that right after that and all my mates and everything. From then on it was never Petro7 to it was always petrol seventy cents a litre. Or seventy cents a litre for short. Uh the, the petrol seventy cents a litre for Petro 70 receiver is an all timer for me. Um you've obviously yeah. you've obviously got some of the the more staunch ones like um I used to love some of the prop nicknames just um just when they were going at it like you had the chief versus spud. <laughs> you had some of these ones, but yeah. No.
1: And no one called them Carol and Arrigan. it was always a chief and a spud. <laughs> but I I
0: always go back to Petrol. That's always gonna be my favourite.
1: Another obscure one I didn't mourn either. But you'd remember this one, Barnett, The Steelers, the old the Spaghetti Twins. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. Neil Piccinelli and Dean Cifilluti. They were
0: good players too.
1: <laughs> they were good players. They're Aussies but of Italian heritage and they just got nicknamed the Spaghetti Twins. It was <laughs> it was pretty funny back in the day.
0: Well, there's probably a few that we can't repeat as well. So we'll we'll leave this segment and go on to the next the last one. The Legend Rewind. Uh, bit of a polarising one, this one. Anthony Mundine. He had a phenomenal career, was a hugely talented player, but also that was kind of overshadowed by how much people liked him or disliked him, and most people seem to dislike him. Very outspoken. Uh, He's ended up playing not as many games as what he should have, but during the time that he did, he was immensely talented. Obviously left for boxing, very much like TPJ is doing now. 128 games per se. He had 84 appearances for St. George initially, between 93 and 98. Um, he went to Brisbane for the Super League war in 97 because he wanted to go to Super League. And that was very much on brand for, for Anthony Mundine to want to go to the Super League. <laughs> uh, after that year in Brisbane, uh, had to play centre at Brisbane as well from memory. had Went back to St. George, Illawarra. Yeah, he won number yep. four. 99 to 2000 seasons, played 33 games uh, for them. He... Had seasons where he's a prolific try scorer. Um, Top try scoring season was actually 99 towards the end of his career where he scored 17 tries in 23 games. Um, Back in 95 with the Dragons, 15 tries in 23 games. Also, someone who played State of Origin three matches uh, and also represented New South Wales City once as well. He was a guy who I think was um, better than what his accolades suggest just because he came through at a time... One of the biggest stories I remember we're, was...
1: We're, how how flushed was the competition for 5-8 oh, at that stage? It was
0: unbelievable. And look, it was it was always <laughs> contention for, for Mundine, right? Because one of the controversial things was he always said, I'm better than everybody yep. else. And look, he was a phenomenal player, but Brad Fittler was the Australian and New South Wales captain and was ahead of him. And he used to give it to guys like Brad Fittler and Laurie Daly. He used to routinely say he was better than both. And he wasn't, but he was right up there. And it was just a shame because if he came through at other times without those guys, he would have been the New South Wales eight and he would have done very well. Um, and same for playing for Australia. Um, and look, he still played three State of Origin games. It wasn't as many as what he would have played in other eras. Um, I do always remember, though, one of the big memories for me was when he was smashing Brad Fittler in the media for a week, saying how he was um, he wasn't any good, he was overrated. The man was twice the player that Brad Fittler is, blah blah, <laughs> and Freddie was getting asked about it all week, and he just went, "Oh yeah, well, you know, he might be right. You know, Chuck's a Chock's a great player, and Freddie just being Freddie, was just being super polite and stuff." But um, people forget with Freddie, while well, he's really laid back and nice and stuff, he he, he has a burning in him. He's a real competitor, and he came out that game, and Freddie absolutely blitzed it. I remember him scoring a couple of tries, and like it, the he was he was just a. Absolutely played all over Mundine. A couple of tries, but set up some other ones. And one of his tries was one of the old Freddie specials. It's not in the rules anymore where he's he's done the – at the play of the ball, he's done the tap forward and he kicked it into the goal and dived over the defensive line over their shoulders and gone down and scored the try. And he he did a point to Mundine on one of them as well when he scored him as well. And um, Mundine just got absolutely embarrassed. Um, I don't even know if the Roosters even won that game from memory. I I don't know if they did. But Freddie just absolutely dominated Mundine and he was quiet for a couple of weeks. Might have been the only time that Mundine was quiet for a couple of weeks because he wasn't normally. But I remember him personally as someone who was an extreme athlete. And you can see that from the fact that he went to boxing and was so successful. Uh, And he had tremendous speed. Uh, and the way he could run the ball and his agility, his stepping, his movements, he was just so smooth. And I used to love watching him run the ball. Uh, Had great passes on him and and great ability to playmate too, but him with the ball in hand was what I remember most about Mundine, and he's probably a little bit underrated for how good he was just based on how people felt about him and also how much he talked and also how short his career was.
1: Oh, 100%. He was immensely talented, Mundane. I remember when he first came to the scene, and, oh, this kid could be, like, oh, he was phenomenal. His whole career, he was pretty he was phenomenal, but he's always been polarizing because, you know, the man, the old mouth running and stuff and all the rest of it. But that's why he sort of just thrived on that negative media. He's made his whole career out of it through rugby league and through um, boxing as well. But he was an immensely talented footballer, and he was a really underrated boxer too in his boxing career. What do you achieve is... is you know, it's not to be sneezed at, that's for sure. He had a contract in the um, NBL waiting
0: too if he didn't play football.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's just a bit touch month. on. Like, he, if he didn't um, take that contract with the Dragons, he was going to go and play with the Sydney Kings. So, I mean, he's just an athlete. He's always been an athlete. He's shown that over, you know, two sports. But, you know, 128 games, 59 tries. It's a fair strike rate for a 5-8. Um, 12 finals appearances, 7 tries. I, I remember his combination. He used in the late 90s that he struck up with um, Nathan Blacklock Oh yeah, that was electric watching those games with Mundoon and Blacklock. Some of the tries that they laid on was, you know, that's just footballing champagne.
0: That was probably the best, the best Indigenous combination I've ever seen.
1: And they both did the backflips, and you know, it was, it was entertainment plus as well as a absolutely outstanding footy.
0: Yeah, the brand that they played, and Nathan Blacklock was such a great finisher, and he was so he was so fast, and he was. It, those two playing together, uh, that's a great one to bring up because I'm starting to get the memories back from that and oh, they were phenomenal. sensational. And as far as um uh, Indigenous athletes coming through, they're, they're probably the two best in my lifetime, I reckon, um, Blacklock and, and Mundine, and have them playing together and off each other the way they did. It, it was great to watch if you're a Dragons fan.
1: It's such a shame that it didn't last for long. Uh, Blacklock's career was only fairly short too and he was like, phenomenal. <laughs> And say with Mundine, well, you know, he played 128 games. I think Blacklock was pretty similar, 125 games or something 121 tries. It was, <laughs> they could have gone down in history as two of the greatest players that ever played they stuck in the game, but you know. Um Mundine being a controversial figure, I still never forget when he was saying that it was he was racism that he wasn't picked in the Australian side and all that, but, you know the indigenous players that were in there. But as good as he was, he was still behind Daly Fitler Walters and Matty Johns at the time in the five eight. Like, we were just it was phenomenal 5 8s running around.
0: Yeah. And it was also one of those things, too. Like he, at Brisbane, um, he ended up playing. Well, he won the grand final with Brisbane in 97.
1: Yeah, playing centre because Kevin yep. was 5 8.
0: And it it was one of those things where when I saw it, I was like, well, I wonder if he can come through and reinvent his career a little bit as a centre because he was such a silky runner. And I think that. Good yeah, defender, too. And I think that these days, um, it would have actually complimented a lot to have him at centre because. You get some of the good centers now, and they've got the skills to be able to, to kick. And like when Luttrell was at center, uh, or when Turbo goes to center for uh, the Blues, it's kind of that type of thing. And it's just such a strike weapon. But like you said, with his com- combination with Blacklock, I did always wonder whether that might have been something that might have, um, for the second half of his career, been on the cards. Uh, because it could have kept him going and could have actually got him into the Australian team and stuff. But but even then, you know, I mean, the Dragon centres, they had Mark Gasnier coming through, who I rate as one of the best centres that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Manny Cooper, Cooper there. was there as well, I think. McGregor, McGregor was still
1: cutting around at the end of that sword. <laughs> that was a golden era for And Suna that was just too. his club. <laughs> so, <I> mean,
0: Jamie <laughs> yeah, Ainsco later on as well right. and stuff. Was, uh, well, Jamie Hainesco was there at the time when he was peaking. Um, so, yes, yeah, even that was probably a bit hard.
1: Tony Carroll. Yeah. <laughs> some good, good hombres cutting around. It was just a, yeah, every position sort of was stacked in those days. And I still think a lot of that's got to do because the UK Super League hadn't kicked off. So you think of the amount of expert Aussie and Kiwis running around in that Super League, they were all running around in Reggie's down here at that time. So the depth was massive in the late 90s.
0: It was. Uh, and it was always a shame how Mundine left because he ended up in the 2000 season, he, he went midway through the season, he only played 10 games. And, and he then and he walked out to, to yeah. go to boxing, um, which is sad because I mean it, it put more pressure on him. And he had a very, it's good that he had a great boxing career, but at the same time, um, he couldn't really leave with a, a farewell or anything you know that would have been positive. It, it was always a, a negative and everything. But I mean at the same time, his whole career whether it was in the NRL or boxing or whatever, it was always he did it his way, and he certainly left the NRL his way as well. So. He had a great career, um, should be remembered a lot more fondly uh, than what he is because uh, I think that he was an outstanding player during those times and electric to watch. So great NRL career for Anthony Mundine, great sporting career for Anthony Mundine. That is the podcast, person So it's been a big one. There's a lot to talk about. Thank you for jumping on. It's been a pleasure as always.
1: Yeah, I always enjoy mate. Love, you know, love chatting to Barnsley uh, a bit of footy, so that's good. Uh, a good Legend one actually. It was a bit of a different one. A bit of a polarizing character for a challenge. So it's uh, good to reminisce. I was going
0: to give you a real classic one that I know you would have loved of someone <laughs> that only had about 120 games in their career, but I'm going to leave it for another time. But it was a manly back rower. I'll put that down to you. Thank you no for worries. jumping on. We're not going to give it <laughs> away for listeners. Uh, anyone who wants to listen, find us everywhere. SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon. You can also jump on X or Twitter as it used to be known, NRL underscore SC underscore stars. Jump on picklebet.com, create an account today. Make sure you use the affiliate referral code ALLSTARS, all one word. they will take great care of you when they see you're one of our listeners. Have a great round 26, everyone. A lot of seasons on the line, a lot of great games to watch. Can't wait to talk all about it again
1: next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.